Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So I've been excited for this episode of Best Ball Bros because I've been playing this long con with today's guest. It was about, I don't know, eight to 10 years ago now that I was first getting started in this space. Today's guest has been around in this fantasy football space for a little while. And to be totally honest with you, we never got along. We didn't agree on anything. We were on Twitter arguing with each other. I was an immature child back then calling this person uh, an idiot, probably. I don't even really remember what we talked about. It's probably still out there on Twitter. It's embarrassing, actually. Don't go look at it. But now, we've played nice with him for the last five years. We've done shows together. I've you know, told him that he's smart and all these different things. And now I brought him on today to go back to disagreeing with him and exposing Mike Leone. Michael Leone, I've established the run as uh, uh, it's this long con of me, me playing him. I played you, Mike. And now we're going to have some fun today. Welcome to another episode of Best Ball Bros. Give me your click, but you don't have to listen. Oh, you had Gabriel Davis at 67%. Oh, sweetie, that's so hot. Can I curse on the show? Absolutely. I was so fucking bad. How can I lose? And the answer was by starting Allen Robinson over <laughs> Jamar Chase. Well, last year kind of attached myself to Trey Sermon, which <laughs> hasn't worked out too well. Bill, if you ever listen to this, I love you. He's just such a boomer now that it's painful. Mm-hmm. I did think I was going to play in the NBA uh, when I was like six. I'm going to tell Evan Silva their boy. Went to the bathroom and just like told Evan, hey man, this is the top 15. People yeah. love the life pass. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm obviously kidding. I'm obviously kidding. You have (laughs) we we're no, you're not kidding. We've come back to argue MLB implied run totals and their impact (laughs) on MLB DFS projections. That is so funny. I think that's that was the the original argument that we had on Twitter was about implied run totals. That's so funny. Um, but obviously I was I was kidding. Um, just having a little fun in the cold open. But Mike, I ask. Everyone, the same question now at the start of the show. Um, it's one of my favorite questions, and it is obviously you've been around now a long time in the fantasy sports space. Can be can be football related, can be season long related, can be DFS related, best ball related. What is the worst fantasy take you've ever had in your career? Oh man, I can I do like real life take? Does it yes, have to be fantasy? Any, nope, because I was, I mean. Josh Allen. I was just outraged when the Bills drafted Josh Allen. I was I was pissed. I was thought it was I was out on the whole entire front office. I was like this this will I never turn this. around. 
Yeah. I think so I knew that, that you were like down on him in general, but I didn't know that like you were legit as a Bills fan. I didn't know that you were like, you know, real like hated the pick. It was kind of like the sky is falling. I was really <laughs> um I think I think I probably was a like a touch more rational than you know the it was a t- it was a big L for the analytics community in general because so, some of some of the community not the whole community uh, just really went overboard with the hatred which I think happens with players that get overdrafted like like the takes get harsher than if that player yeah. had just been drafted like maybe where they quote unquote should have gone um, but yeah the the Josh Allen takes did not age well at all but it's a i mean there are there are worse oh to be wrong about as a fan like this is the dream right if you're going to be wrong about one at least let it be you found the super you're wrong about the superstar quarterback on your team yeah and at least i'm so wrong that it's not even a conversation like it's not like um like year two it was weird because it was like Everyone's like, oh, he's taking this huge step. And I'm like, I don't know. And it was like, but now he's so good that there's nothing. It's like, this is amazing. You know, he's clearly. I remember year two where, you know, we, we, I feel like we think fairly, obviously, like with the quarterback thing, we talked a lot about like the Trey Lances and the rookies and all that stuff last year. So the Josh Allen second year was in this same ballpark of where I think we probably agreed where we're like, I see some interesting growth here. You know, it's like this crazy big bazooka armed freak athlete that's running all over the place and you know throwing deep down the field but then to your point you also saw the like i don't know but he also doesn't look very good at football (laughs) (laughs) it's like that hard balancing act and in fantasy we see that a lot too i mean that's what trey lance is trey lance you know he's he's second year josh allen except he didn't play as a rookie and so it's like balancing man look at all this upside theoretical upside versus I don't know. Is he actually good at football? I don't know. Yeah. And uh, luckily, though, I've, I've been pretty profitable on Allen in fantasy. So thankfully, my uh, bias against his his real life talent didn't affect the uh, the fantasy outcomes too much. Were you you have to remind me Were you I, I, I'm pretty sure you were that that the third year. So the real Allen breakout, right? The digs um, digs year year one was uh you you were pretty in on them right in in fantasy and that's when they were like real cheap and they were the total smash like stack yeah i was pretty in on them for season long uh ben gretch helped get me on stuff on dig so shout out to gretch so that made a huge difference and um yeah i won like the juke like week two when they just put up a ton of points against miami and it was just they just went absolutely i remember that one and it was like allen and Diggs were like you know in single entry stuff or like sub 5% each. Um, but even last year, like the bills had, you know, a few rough games to start. I think it was the game against Washington when Manny Sanders caught the two touchdowns. Shout out to the olds, baby. Uh, <laughs> it it you came got your through. one week. Yeah. You got, got my one week out of Manny. <laughs> um, what I'm trying to remember. I remember that Bills Dolphins game really, really clearly because obviously I listened to your content and stuff, and I think you were talking about them as like an, an under owned stack, and I didn't hit the nuts with them like like you did, but I remember playing. Who was on the freaking Dol? How can well, why can I not? So remember? I was Parker? very lucky in that De- Devontae Parker, Jisiki went ham. They had Fitzpatrick. Oh yes, that's it. right. So yeah. I was really mm-hmm. lucky where I was like, I'm not going to bring this back 
and I played like OJ Howard at tight end and he got like a zero. And like, thankfully I was in a small field tournament and I won by, cause I think that that was, this was one of my best weeks. I think that was also the Aaron Jones week week after the huge uh, Devonte Adams. Week against the Lions, and, Aaron Jones, yeah. like 45. But yeah. yeah so like, I remember the combo saved me from my goose egg at tight end. I, I just like winning with goose, but just sicky at the same price correlated scored like 30. Like, so you could have just really, I mean, 30, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and just, uh, it's just obvious that you correlate the tight end, right? Like just exactly. super obvious. It's one, it's one thing to like, uh, to have the inverse happen where you were like, look, I was playing the bring back at the tight end. It made too much sense. And he goose egged and I could have played OJ Howard. You're like, Oh, I would, Coulda, coulda, shoulda. But you're like, hey, dumbass, you could have just done the thing that like you do every week. Like you you play this game every week and you do this every week. You could have just done done that thing. It's so funny you say OJ Howard. I remember that week now because Aaron Jones, I had a, I did like I said, I didn't have a smash week like you did, but I remember the Aaron jo- again. This was also when I was a little bit more of a dickhead. I mean, I'm a dickhead still on Twitter, <laughs> but then I was like, I wasn't as humble. To be frank, I wasn't. I wasn't as humble or whatever. And I posted some like kind of arrogant asshole tweet or whatever about the Aaron Jones thing where it was just like, this guy's such a, he was such a slam dunk GPP player or whatever. And he was only 10% and whatever. And people got mad. But I remember that week from that Aaron Jones thing. And that has uh, like some of that has started to transition into my, like some of those memories into the best ball space where I'm trying to think through these really, really basic concepts and apply them to this new game. Obviously it's a little bit of apples Mm -hmm. and oranges, but I'm trying to figure out some of those little things, right? The Aaron Jones thing was like Devontae Adams is 50%. This really, really high upside running back in just as good of a spot as 10%, you know? And then you said this awesome offense, the bills, is super low owned in a spot that's like not bad, but it's not good. And like applying some of these little principles from DFS, because I know you come from the DFS background too. Um, is there anything along those lines that have like helped you in, you know, or season long? Um, but obviously we're best ball focused here mostly. So I think one of the things for me that I've learned playing DFS the last couple of years is there are some weeks that you're just going to take an L and you have to accept that you're, you know, you're not going to win every week. And I do think sometimes we go overboard with best ball. Like, like it's, it's one week is what we're playing. One week of DFS. It just takes place over the whole course of the whole season. So like, I'm trying to become more okay with, uh, like I see that this player, you know, maybe it's CD lamb um, has this huge upside, but like if I have him ranked a little, you know, below where his ADP is, not, not that you have to be a slave to your rankings or ADP, but I just have to be willing to accept that at this cost, I think it's a slightly minus EV bet. And if I'm trying to win this tournament, I should be trying to make plus EV bets, not hedging myself against the, well, there's a chance, you know, he, he goes nuts. Like I know the ceiling's there. So that's sort of one of the things I'm trying to channel a little bit more. And I've been thinking, I tweeted about the other day because I've been thinking about it a lot because like there's some offenses that I really like and I want to be in on um, the Philly price are a little bit better, but Philly, for example, I was like, I don't think people realize there's a chance that they, they throw more and that, you know, they put up a ton of points, but then I was like at the ADPs and it's like, well, I don't know if I want to make the bet where they are. I think like right now I have them as a better bet than maybe they were a few weeks ago, but mm-hmm. regardless, I mean, sometimes you just got to let the upside go. Like it's not a matter of whether or not they have an upside. We saw, I mean, there were, players that we liked in a vacuum last year, Brandon Ayuk, Antonio Gibson always stick to my head where like 
had they been at good price tags, they still would have disappointed. So I don't want to be too results oriented, but they both those players, in my opinion, crossed the threshold at which point they be just became bad bets, even though in a vacuum, their upside cases like nothing had changed with them. I love I love that because especially coming <clears throat> from the DFS example where every week when we play DFS, there are great play like when you play like you and I, right, which is typically one to five teams or whatever, how you know, however we want to obviously we veer here and there um, away from that. But generally only a handful of teams every single week. You cannot cover every base in that amount of teams and you're going to forego great plays. And to your point, really high upside plays, not even just like the, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever is a good, uh, the, the Kiki Kuti's of the world where like, oh, he's probably not that high upside, but he just projects well. Not even just, you're not foregoing that. You're foregoing like, well, Justin Jefferson against the Lions, not going to get to him in my three teams. And it's like, he could go for 50 here. Yeah. You know? And, and in best ball, I think I fell into this trap too the same way last year where it was like, I don't want to leave this portfolio going into the year without X because there is a ceiling case. And it was like, yeah, but there's like 300 draftable players in the player pool, maybe more. And like, I just can't get everybody, you know, like you said, CD lamb, maybe I happen to land in the one draft. He's not at the one, two turn. He's at the, two, three turn. I'm like, okay, now he makes sense on this one. But like, that's going to happen like twice a summer. <laughs> you know, I don't have to force it in scenarios where, as you said, when when you do the cost benefit analysis, it doesn't always make sense, even though he could be Cooper Cup. It could happen. But sometimes you just take your L when that happens and you move on. Yeah, it's definitely hard because we know the ceiling outcomes are going to kind of drive what happens. Um Although there's some nuance to that in best ball because they can drive you to advance at a super high rate like Leonard Fournette last year, but then not help you in the playoffs at all. So there's some Mm -hmm. nuance there. But like ultimately, if you have a set of rankings, I mean, it's kind of I view it as like like strength of the bet. Like 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 this is how strong the bet is. Like I'm not saying I have this guy ranked here, so he's going to score like six points less than this guy. But the (laughs) earlier you take a guy, the the strength of the bet lessens like that's just a fact you know your opportunity cost grows you know the and it's a probability game it's that's what drives me nuts with you were talking with someone on about trey lance on twitter and they were kind of like well he's either really undervalued or he's really overvalued and it's kind of like no we have to probabilistically kind of like account for he's got x percent chance that jimmy garoppolo does something annoying and it's it doesn't mean that you just automatically draft one way or the other like you know if if you do that with everybody, you're going to make a bunch of minus EV picks, right? Like, yes, like you're by definition minus EV if you're not accounting for that, just because, I mean, it, once in a while, maybe you'll just gamble that one side is 100% and you'll just assume it's 100%. But in general, for the whole player pool, you can't do that or, you're, you know, your ranks are just bad at that point. Right. There's, it's a weighted score. You're like almost giving every, right? The, a ranking is because of a weighted score and so like um i listened to again uh you mentioned ben gretz shout out to ben and sean siegel who do have a podcast stealing bananas who if you're watching this you probably already are aware of and have listened to but they've been kind of ironically touting way too much jarvis landry frequently and it's like it's not because jarvis landry so jarvis landry at the same cost let's just say as another player they like 
David Bell or whatever. David Bell might have the, this is an exaggeration, but the Justin Jefferson rookie year ceiling case where mm-hmm. like, he's just the best, you know, him and Nick Chubb are just, Nick Chubb is Dalvin Cook and he's Justin Jefferson on this awesome offense, you know, in this total ceiling outcome. So you wait that, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that that's true, but you wait that goes into where you pick him. Jarvis Landry yes. doesn't have, that, that's not in Jarvis Landry's range of outcomes. But there is a, a floor and a, a median and all these, right, right this um, sliding scale of outcomes for Jarvis Landry that also go into his score. But the market doesn't always appropriately value all the range for every single one of those those players that's why we joke with you a lot about the old thing but i do <laughs> but i do think you're like mostly most of the time right where it's like the market is is dictated by a lot of sharp drafters who are not really interested in older players but you reach a certain point where jarvis landry and julio jones and emmanuel sanders and those guys are not appropriately valued for like this score. If I were to create a score, right? Yes. Yeah. They're probably not going to be project for the most points in week 17. Like I'm on Ross St. Brown did, but there, that doesn't mean they don't have value at their, at their current cost. Yeah. It's also, you know, for sure more complicated in best ball than in managed leagues, because as you're saying, like those ranges of outcomes that we're taking into account, I think it gets extended. Like what matters, you know, like some of those Jarvis Landry median weeks, they just matter a lot more in best ball than yes. they do in, you know, manage. Like manage, we can Big just time. kind of throw a lot of stuff out the window. I was talking about this with Karain about Zeke today. Um, not that I'm that pro Zeke, oh, no. but like, no, no. But there, oh, no. There's a point. My Twitter there's feed a is point. going up with Zeke. My Twitter feed is going nuts with Zeke. Is your is everyone on your Twitter feed talking? Is Twitter recommending nothing but Zeke tweets to you? Because it feels like that's what's happening to me. Uh in Discord, I've been pinged about Zeke a lot on Twitter. I've tried to <laughs> try to not be on Twitter as much. It probably doesn't seem that way. Um, <laughs> but Anyways, like sorry, the, the idea was like 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 there's a point at which he would fall where he would be. You, and the Zeke thing's really he's a good microcosm of this. I think it was Dave Klug who had tweeted like his finishes, and I was like, holy shit! Like Zeke finished RB six last year. That doesn't even seem like real. And for a managed league, essentially what that tweet's saying is that RB sucks and you shouldn't be taking RB early because right. an RB averaging, you know, 14 points per game isn't moving the needle at all. You know, he just happened to be RB6 because he stayed healthy. But in best ball, it becomes a lot more nuanced because it's like, well, that actually does matter if you're only drafting, you know, four running backs that you just were able to use a score from him for the entire regular season. So there's a lot more intricacies. Uh, whereas, yeah, redraft, you can kind of just cross Zeke out. It also helps that the the redraft ADPs aren't as sharp. So Zeke will go yeah. earlier in managed when he should actually go later in managed. And it is funny how a lot of that stuff is backwards between best ball and managed. I love uh, and I don't think about that enough, definitely, because there's also this weird thing where best ball is still so new. And like, obviously that's where I'm focused. You guys are putting out more best ball content. A lot of the people that we follow are, and like people are pulling ADPs now, right? We're not, no one is going to ESPN and looking at the ESPN ADP to like produce content anymore. Right. It's, it's, it's it's underdog. You used to, you remember there used to be like a, uh, you guys might still do it this year. So I, this is not, this is not me degrading, but like, a. uh, uh, abusing the default ranks or whatever, you know, people yeah. do those, those articles. And it's like that world has shifted in our little bubble. In our bubble, it's gone. So, yeah. So gone. It's so different. Um, and there are players that I, 
stubbornly will be like the market is just going to be over rating that guy zeke josh jacobs last year um those kind probably antonio gibson this year <laughs> like uh not last year right but like these guys that would have would are probably going to be third round picks in your home league are six round picks in our best ball drafts i'm like that's a stark difference and i should evaluate them as such and sometimes i don't do that I was laughing because I did I did an article today um, looking at Fantasy Pros ADP, like a first look at home leagues, because, you know, we forget like the vast majority of our subscribers at ETR, like they, they just want to just dominate their buddies in their home league, right? Like it, it's easy to forget about that in our bubble. And uh, yeah, there, there's some ADPs there, Eric. It's it's a different game. Let's just <laughs> say it's, it's, a, like, it's so staunchly different. But I do think that's important because there's archetypes of players and I... Like the, the IUC one just sticks out to me. Like that's a guy last year that perfect archetype for breakout player in, in casual leagues or in past years, you wouldn't have to give a second thought because you could just draft that dude in the seventh round, like clockwork yeah. over and over again. Uh, we do have to think a little bit more when Zeke goes in round six instead of round three. Like we have to at least consider that, you know, we're starting to get to wherever that break even point is, you know, we're getting a little bit closer. Um, but yeah, in your home league, uh, fantasy pros, ADP for Ezekiel Elliott's 32. So it's, it's different. (laughs) It's, uh, it's different. I mean, this is obviously super early. Not a lot of people are doing leagues, but I I would suspect that actually stays somewhat true into August. Um, so yeah, totally different game. How do you, this is a good question from Taylor. Taylor says, how do you think about measuring injury? You know, we kind of talked about that, um, uh, well, you and I talked about that offline briefly, and then obviously in terms of uh, prob- probability ranges and ranges of outcomes and everything to to individual players. How do how do this is one of the things I struggle with the most because you get anyone you talk to has very polarizing opinions on this on this matter. So I'm curious of how you, like everybody is either that guy is injury prone or I don't care about injury risk, and like I don't know where in the middle I'm actually supposed to be. Yeah, this is one of my weaknesses too. I, I want to try and get better at this. Um, I kind of want to revamp the way we do our rankings a little bit next year uh, to take this into account a little bit better. In general, right now, we're subjectively just conservative with running back volume just based on historical data. And then we are going to be even more conservative on the guys we either expect to miss time or are coming back and maybe not be full strength. With that said, I tend to underrate injury risk. I'm guilty of that. I mean, some of the guys that look like good values to me, I'm starting to get squeamish on because it's like, oh, J.K. Dobbins injury, like he had all this time, but the injury was so mm-hmm. bad. And it's like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be pushing him as hard because the, you know, the ADP doesn't seem to make sense to me. Or like I'm super in on Saquon and CMC, like these guys, you know, yep. I feel like, I feel like the market, either I'm undervaluing it or the market's overvaluing it. And I don't actually have a good, you know, data-driven answer as to, to who's right. It's, it's just more of a feel thing for me right now. So that's definitely an area I'm looking to improve. Do you think it's even possible to have a good, like a truly a good data-driven, um, uh, you know, like ranking or assessment of injury proneness? I think that I'd, I'd like to assemble a data set of like comparable players to just like have maybe something that's like an objective set to look at that ne- might not necessarily be super predictive, but 
like just giving me, you know, if, if I'm looking at guys like in Chris Godwin's situation, for example, and I've got mm. 10 guys and like none of them, you know, came back and were valuable. It's like, oh, okay. Like, like maybe I should be thinking about that a little bit more. I, I just like to dig into a little bit more, but I do think ultimately we're not going to have a great answer because the sample sizes are so small and the change in medicine is, is, um, you know, like, I mean, we're just seeing guys every year, they come back a little bit earlier, a little bit stronger than they have in past years. And it doesn't seem like, you know, there's an end in sight for that advancement, even if it's gradual year after year. So I don't know if there'll be a great answer, especially for a guy like, let's say Saquon, who, I mean, he's, his injury last year was different. You know, it's not like he tore his, he tore his ACL the year prior. And then he had, what was it like the weird ankle thing that was ankle, kind of a fluke yeah. play. Mm-hmm. So it's like, 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 should I almost feel better since he's a year removed from the ACL? <laughs> right. <laughs> he got hurt, but you should feel, you should project him to be healthier in a weird way. Right, yeah. Weird. Yeah. I think those so, are the hard, hard parts. I love the idea. It wouldn't be a stream with me if the dogs didn't go crazy during the <laughs> at this time. So you just have to ignore these, uh, ignore these, these guys. But, um, I love the idea again, something we uh, briefly discussed before that was like, not everything has to be, we don't have to do analysis or come up with um, rationale for something that's like black and white, or we solved this. And in fact, most of the stuff is not really solvable. It's certainly not in the next couple, in the first few years of this game that we're playing, maybe not ever. Probably the injury thing is like probably not ever because like we're, we're talking yeah. about humans and like, I don't know how Chris Godwin's feeling. I don't know how his surgery went. I don't know, how, you know, like, and n- there's no way for anybody to know any of this stuff, but we can do some things to help maybe push us in a directionally accurate way. And like you said, if, if, if I can get as close to a good, ass- as good of an assessment as possible on like what his real injury was, when it happened, all that kind of stuff, when he had surgery, right. And then give me, 10, 15 guys that had something close enough to similar and then like what happened to them based on what I would project them to do. Now we can at least like have a conversation about it, but it's like, unfortunately still in 2022 fantasy football is just like, no CMC been hurt for two years in a row. He's injury prone. That's it. That's it. That's the end of the story. There's definitely a part of me that wants CMC to just have like a 28 points per game season and stay healthy. (laughs) And just my, my neighbor has, his brother-in-law plays just casually in home leagues. And he, last year he was just adamant. He wouldn't draft CMC because he would get hurt. And then he did. And I was, I was just like, so angry about it. I was just like, that's how I, um, that's how people probably felt about me with Derrick Henry, where everybody was telling me, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm doing, I'm realistically, I'm doing the thing that we talked about before. Like, obviously he has a ceiling at a certain cost. He makes sense, right? Injury, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's a very unique guy with the lack of pass catching and all that different stuff. So like I ended up on the fade side, but everybody, y'all, you're an idiot. You know, how can you not take, take Derrick Henry? And then it's like, he gets hurt and it's like, it's a totally binary outcome. He, he was absolutely crushing everyone's soul before he got hurt. And like, he could have easily, literally, I could have returned like $0 in best ball because I didn't draft him, but a binary, a totally binary outcome happens. And like, I can, I can, you know, go on Twitter and mock people even though it's a stupid, it's a, it's a stupid thing. It's, it's uh, it's, it's always obvious in retrospect, everybody. 
Oh, wait, this knows. is a good example of a difference uh, in uh, like home leagues and, you know, fantasy footballers. Great. This is not a knock on fantasy footballers, but the great uh, content for that, that type of a viewer, a little less like crazy hyper best ball, serious league focused. And Zeke was a third round pick in that Nick wanted to vomit. I won't comment on, uh, on that, that part of it. Um, there was another question I wanted to hit before we move on. Do you worry about newer players being hyper focused on one year outcomes and losing interest? Okay, so like in the best, like as a, as a, as a content provider, as a person in the business, or do you think a majority of newer best ball players will kind of understand that, like, <laughs> if they draft if they drafted eighty percent of Derrick Henry last year and lost every cent? Um, is that anything you know? From especially coming from uh, DFS, do you think that's anything to to think about? Oh. Uh- I mean, hopefully if you're new, you're not just ripping off 150 like BBM three drafts, I I guess, Uh, because I could definitely see where that would be a really bad experience given the payout structure and uh, the investment (laughs) that would take. (laughs) I do wish it would. This is such a lame boomer take, but I do wish that sometimes there was more emphasis on just regular best ball leagues, because I think those are really fun and like good leagues to play in. Um, it might, it might be cool too, to even see like, what, what if you had like 60 person, you know, five leagues that competed for a prize, you know, just more yeah. of like, and you'd be able to churn them out so much, at least on underdog, they do so much volume and they could almost have small field, like super small field contests. Like that'd be interesting because it is a little bit hard to get up for, you know, just the 12 team league and the, the prize isn't that high, but, um, I don't know. I'm like, and you know me, Eric, structural drafter, baby. So <laughs> that really feeds into just finishing, you know, top three in your league and feeling a little bit better about that. So I wish there was a little more emphasis on that. I understand why there's not, aka $10 million into one tournament, but um, I think I think new people will like it more than they dislike it when they just realize that they can do a lot of drafts, which is the most fun part about fantasy, and they don't have to worry about in-season waivers. It's not going to be for everyone, but... I think more people than not will be like, oh yeah, basketball. This is pretty. This is pretty sweet. I actually, I can't believe we haven't even like discussed that idea before. Like, I'm trying to think of how I would word it, but like micro leagues, micro tournaments, right? Yeah. So it has to be a little bit different than you know, like a traditional, you know, like uh, us playing the luxury box or whatever or the or the juke or you know in in dfs but there's something to this like i don't want to just because maybe it's just me i i don't want to just play 12 man best ball leagues i'm not particularly interested in drafting right now for the upside of whatever a uh, hundred bucks you know on my ten dollar team but if we can get give me give me ups i can put 10 bucks into this and I can make a thousand or something, you know, yeah. like, and, and, but then that's a part of my portfolio too, right? I'm going to draft, like, I'm going to draft hundreds of teams this summer. I don't want them all to be in best ball mania. Right. I want to have like, you know, cause that's how you as a skilled player can make money every single year is having this balance of the contests, right? It's like in DFS. I, I don't I really don't even play the Millie Maker, not only because I mean there's different nuances to that, of course, but like I don't play certain tournaments because I can't realize my edge over the course of the entire season in terms of an actual raw 
monetary like like the money that comes back into my DraftKings account isn't I don't get to realize that and that's kind of what it is with some of these huge so the, we, finding some sort of middle ground where it's big enough that it makes sense for the sites you know and they can fill it without getting in the way of BBM and all that but still providing us with like oh I mean I would like to turn ten dollars ten dollars into a thousand you know that 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 sounds fine yeah, Ed started that as like a casual, but like even at higher stakes, I'm sure you do like a 1K league where it's like part of five to 10 other leagues. And then there's, I don't even know how you would structure it. You could do a playoff format or you could just do a points chase all the way through yeah. across the leagues. Like you, you could do something like that. Um, I think, yeah, I think that stuff would be pretty cool. I feel like me personally, like I'd be more apt to play it. Like there's part of me that's has a tougher time sometimes making room for the best ball mania draft and getting him in because it's like, Oh man, am I going to spend an hour right now on something that has like a 0.001% chance? <laughs> so little. And it like, it might've even been easier the last two years this year. The prizes are bigger, which is like great, mostly for marketing purposes, but like even like, I believe that probably every draft you do is going to end up being plus. I think you, we lost you for a second. Hey, Hold I hear on. you now. Hold on. I unplugged. I literally just unplugged my mic. That'll do it. I talk, I talk with my hands. Can you, can you hear me now? Can we, can we? Yes. We, yeah. I talk with my hands and the, the, the cord was, was like right here. And I went like this. <laughs> unplug the unplug the cord um but i think like even if like this this whole i also hate the fact that we brought this term ev into the best ball space because it's so terrible and misused it's like it's like it, like we, you can just like no one actually really knows what is plus or minus ev in best ball really honestly uh we just say it and like it sounds good but like you know like but i do think the people that I, you know, my biased take is like, you're, like I said, plus or minus attrition. We're all, I, I have bad drafts. You probably have drafts that you're like, God damn it. That was bad. I hate that. Plus or minus the attrition out of your 150, you know, a trip, five teams or whatever. And like your plus EV and the rest of them. But like you could be plus EV in all of those and lose so much money. <laughs> like in the, Yeah. Yeah. But over if you did those 150 teams into this this other contest that we're talking about or these other multiple contests that we're talking about, 25 bucks, it's five leagues. You know, you're only competing against those five leagues and you can you can make a little bit of money in those. I kind of think having that is like the next wave of this of this space. Yeah, 25 bucks times five. That's like, you know, a fifteen hundred dollar prize pool. You know, you, you can still. You can definitely make that work, make it more enticing for people and having them like a more realistic chance to win. So this is definitely true. Nick says EV has almost become a meme at this point. Oh, it's true. I've dude, tried I to hate stop it. saying it. I've tried to stop saying I, it because I hate it. <laughs> I've said usable weeks a lot less than last year. So maybe EV will eventually phase out. But it is it's like such a easy shorthand way where I know I'm not even using it correctly, but I know what that people are going to understand what I'm talking about. So I just like substitute it. Yeah. You're just uh, saying like, this is a smart thing to do. I actually, yeah. I, I believe this is a smart thing to do. I actually don't know if it's plus EV at all, but I think 
this is probably directionally accurate. So you just say plus EV. And but it's like a I was joking and you and I were talking before. I was joking about the Sims thing. It's very similar to that, where someone can say, I ran my Sims and so and so is projected, you know. Uh, you know, he, he should be a fifth round pick, but he's going in the third round. He's a terrible pick. And you're like, well, what about your sim? Like, what about your Sims is saying that that that's the case? And you're like, I don't know. Just I just ran the Sims. You know what I mean? It's like I simulated the season. You're like, well, yeah, but that doesn't really tell me anything. It's kind of like the same thing with EV. It's like you said it was plus EV, but why is it plus EV? And you're like, yeah, I, don't I don't know. I think so. He's a that's a Gabe Davis. Like, why do I like Gabe? Da- why is Gabe Davis a plus EV fifth round pick? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't it's know. just you know? trust me on this one. I mean, <laughs> did you see the playoff game? I mean, in a playoff game that feels plus EV to me. So could chalk it up to plus EV. Because <laughs> like literally what you're doing to determine if it's plus EV, like if you were actually doing this, we're just shorthand doing this is you'd be like multiplying, as we said <laughs> earlier, the probability that he's, you know, has <laughs> this huge season plus the yep. probability as that season and not just the probability as those seasons, like that probability times, like the actual dollar impact it has. And yeah, no one's doing that every time they say, no. he, trust me. <laughs> no. And no one, even it, no one does it because it's a useless exercise. You're not going to like yeah. really glean anything, glean anything from it. We're all putting kind of our range of outcomes to everything. And that's why, some people value ceiling more. Some people value kind of the median projection more. Whatever. Some people value. Everybody values different things more. That's where the EV calculation comes in. But um, it's such a funny. I, it's such a funny thing. We have those things. Last year, they're different. The the keywords this year are different than last. To your point, like I don't even know are. how many times I've said usable week this year, but uh, uh, last year we said it all the time. Once once you start saying some of these things, it's. And I mean, we do a lot of content. I mean, it's June 29th. We we get through a lot. Of, it's hard to not repeat yourself. It's hard not to get into the same phrases and tropes. But it's funny. I'm like, okay with how I misuse EV. But when someone else misuses it in terms of, I hate when people misuse EV relative to variance. Like, oh, it's too high variance. So it's not EV. And I'm like, that's not what EV means. It has nothing to do with the expected value. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. I love that. I, Cause I, I, there it's a stone lock on just about any piece of con- any written content or, or show content that I do. I will misuse some of these words, what EV, whatever usable week, whatever I will, you, I will misuse all of them. But, but like you said, when someone else does it in a way that I don't like, I'm like, that motherfucker's an idiot. I'm like, he's an idiot. Like, what's he talking about? That's not, yeah, that's not EV. That doesn't, that's not at all what EV means, you know? And it's like, what, two days ago, you just said something about EV that was also totally wrong. Um, but that's, but that's like best ball to me is like, that's what's so funny about it is. And everybody gets mad about different things. But like, we're in this weird space where we haven't figured it out yet. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all butting heads trying, trying, trying to figure it out, but we all like have the same goals in mind. And, um, it's a fun, it's kind of a fun, like excursion we're on for like, I don't know, it's going to be multiple more years before we really, truly get smart in this space. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to, I mean, so much depends on your draft room too. I feel like mm, it's yeah. just such, if the you, hard, if you that's can, one of the hard variables, right. Is like, we can talk till the cows come home today about some of these things that like, Oh, you should, this is, this actually is plus EV or minus EV, but then you get into a draft room 
and it's not always true. It's not, and it's not always true. That's the peer to peer. That's the peer to peer part of it. You know, like when we did the rumble, um, you were roasting me post show because I was saying how I, uh, how the draft wasn't as wide receiver heavy as I thought it would be. And then as <laughs> soon as funny. I hopped off the stream, uh, let's just say it got wide receiver heavy and <laughs> I ended up in trouble. But it's like, if I read that draft just a little bit better, my team is drastically better and different. If I like, mm-hmm don't like like five six turn i was like i'll just take hurts here because i think qb's going and wide receiver hasn't been cr- if i take a wide receiver there and a qb later this team looks so much better and so part of it's like a little bit of skill and being able to feel the vibe of the room but part of it's just com- like you you can't really tell based on the first few rounds necessarily i mean yeah. unless it goes really extreme one way or the other and um you know you do want to the one thing that I haven't been doing as much, I want to start doing a little bit more is like, I, I do a lot of my best ball drafts where I'm trying to get a lot of value early. And then I'm sort of constructing around that, like based on how, how, what okay. draft capital I've allocated, where I want the correlations I'm adjusting, just taking that value early. But I do think I should, I could work backwards maybe a little bit more too of like, okay, I know I can get this player most of the time later, you know, this wide receiver later. Mm. So you know, maybe I don't push wide receiver here. I haven't been doing that as much. I've been thinking about that a little bit more because when I did this home league article, it was much more obvious because the ADPs are so much worse. Where you're like, wow, I could just smash wide receiver <laughs> because Juju Smith-Schuster and all these guys are going like round seven and eight instead of. So it's like, but I think like to a small extent, I, I maybe should be doing that a little bit more with the best ball leagues. But yeah, the the draft room variance is 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 pretty huge, and there's. There's certain builds that the wide receiver heavy rooms fascinate me because <laughs> I feel like even if the room is overvaluing wide receiver, you're still kind of, and we've talked about this before, you still kind of end up screwed if you get left out at wide receiver. Whereas the it's opposite diff- happens, you're you can it's, you can usually make up for it. Uh, it's it's the only some people would say quarterback and uh, the super flex thing is on my mind, so I'm not trying to over translate that to normal to normal leagues some people would say because this happens more so on DraftKings, where i don't know what it is with people on with the casuals on DraftKings and their quarterbacks they just love them but it's definitely just the wide receiver rooms to me that are the ones where like everybody says like zig when they zag but mm-hmm. if you zig when they zag if you zig when they zag in a running back room you're you you can create a one of the best zero RB teams possible. If you zig if you zig when they zag in a quarterback room, okay, we'll think we'll we'll see what happens. There's probably you know, you're probably going to have a little bit later quarterbacks, but you might still be able to f- figure something out. Same thing at tight end. At wide receiver, you're you're just going to burn that money. Like you're going like, to because there's only so many upside candidates at at wide receiver. At running back, and because contingent value doesn't exist as much at wide receiver, it exists, but not in the case, right? Like Rashad Penny doesn't have like Rashad Penny and all these guys don't happen at wide receiver every year. They happen at running back every fucking year. And so it's just a different, it, it's just the positions are just so different. Yeah. There's also an element to it where if the whole room is wide receiver heavy, I have to stop taking running back values at a certain point. I'm in the regular underdog drafts where it's three wide mm-hmm. receiver and a flex. 
And if eight teams are drafting wide receiver heavy, a few of those teams are still going to get good running back values because the room pushed so wide receiver heavy overall right. that yeah, a few of those teams might be dead because they overdid it. But a few of those teams are going to be better than my team because <laughs> so it, it does come down to, you know, finding the spots where like the, the opportunity cost is the lowest and like, and, and I do think early, yeah, you definitely have to be careful with, with running back. If you're unsure of the room, and you're like, oh, I could go hyper fragile, but maybe I should take a wide receiver here just to preserve a little <laughs> bit of yeah. a little bit of optionality in case you know I'm wrong on the room. But and we were talking um, in DFS. I remember midseason. I think we were talking. I was DMing you about Albert O, and I played him at some egregious ownership. But I was <laughs> like, I was like, I mean, he was the Stoneman tight end. I was like. At a certain point, like I, I just, remember this now. I was just like, you, you, I, I have enough spots where I'm deviating. Like I just don't want to get beat on that spot. And and mm-hmm. and there's there's some of that too when you're drafting a team where you're like, okay, maybe I take a little bit of a worse value because it's not worth risking my entire draft just to take you know a better running back value here. And then the room goes wide receiver heavy. And and as you said, you're you're kind of just toast. There's no coming back from it. That's. I think that might be my favorite part of like best ball drafts period that Alberto example, obviously it's a little bit different in DFS, but like, but, but it, it, it's pretty, it's more similar. I think than people would like to let on like ever, like in, in, and this isn't true in every draft room, but we'll just use the wide receiver heavy draft room because it's the easiest, easiest and the most applicable example, right? Go draft in a ship chasing draft. This one, this, this, this works. You reach a point where you're like, it's a balance of, do I take what is a quote unquote value or do I continue to try to build what I think is a team that can win me $2 million has a better shot at winning me $2 million. Sometimes those are the same. Sometimes those are very opposite pit like Mm -hmm. selections that you have to make. And you and you actually reach a point where that question you have to ask yourself, like it's probably like like I said in the ship chasing draft, some some spike week drafts, that's a question you have to ask yourself in like the sixth round, and from the sixth round to like the twelfth round, you have to ask yourself that: Do I deviate for this running back that like holy shit, I'm never going to get this guy in the sixth round ever again? But my seventh round wide yeah. receiver is a guy I take in the 10th round. <laughs> Usually it's like you have to play that balancing game. And, and it's, this is an extreme example with these wide receiver heavy rooms, but that's also like kind of every draft. You have to make these decisions that are like, am I, am I just trying to build the team that looks really good on Twitter when I post it? Cause I got all these guys after ADP or am I trying to build the team that I think makes more strategic sense in trying to win $2 million. Yeah, and that's where in that Royal Rumble draft, I had back-to-back picks where I took Jalen Hurts, which wasn't really a value, but I just kind of like thought QB was going. And then I took Elijah Mitchell, who was a good value. It was like a round of value. But to your point, I then proceeded to draft like six straight wide receivers three rounds ahead of ADP because (laughs) I quite literally had to only draft wide receivers and they were the only wide receivers left. So like, if I pass up on that one-round value on Mitchell... And I get a wide receiver there 
like may, maybe I'm getting another running back at value later and not taking a wide receiver three rounds ahead. And in general, it is ironic how I can draft an RB heavy team or an RB early hyper fragile, whatever you want to call it. Like those teams come out better for me in like mid middle of the pack rooms. Like those teams don't come out well for me yeah. in wide receiver heavy rooms, even though you would think intuitively like, Oh, that'd be great. Cause you're getting the running backs you want, but then you're just ending up with the quantity over quality at wide receiver becomes an issue because your receivers are so bad. And then you're also passing on a ton of running back value that just continues to fall throughout the entire draft. And you can't take advantage of it because you've already locked some in. So yeah, those rooms are, are by far the most difficult for me. Right. If you think about it from a DFS perspective, it's like uh, you played Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor on a week when Dalvin Cook was out and uh, whatever Zeke was out and Tony Pollard and Alexander Madison were 5K. Everybody else played those guys and they got Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and and all these superstar wide receivers. And you spent for the for the running backs. And now there were still decent wide receiver values, generally speaking, but like you couldn't make up for the loss. And like Tony Pollard yeah. was close in that room, like just in like that week, Tony Pollard and Madison were close enough because you could have got those guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round. But you chose to spend, you know, at the position that ended up not giving you a greater edge from a projection standpoint. Um, and I think people don't think about that enough in uh, in best ball either. Like this, there's levers we can pull, right? I, I, I always used to use this. Um, shout out to Blender, Jordan Cooper, at Blender HD on Twitter, who I did a podcast with for a long time um, in the DFS space. And we got into this, like, there's different levers you can pull, right, in DFS. It's way easier to apply them to DFS. But it's very, very true in best ball, too. It's like, when I draft Jarvis Landry, like, I'm pulling a projection lever. I am. I'm not pulling yeah. like a ceiling lever. I'm not pulling any of that. I'm pulling a projection lever. And that's okay on these kinds of teams. But people don't people just say, I like Jarvis Landry. I'm gonna take him. It's like, well, that Jarvis Landry works on certain teams and he doesn't work on, on other teams yeah. because there are different levers you have to pull on all these different teams. And um, it's easy to explain in DFS where it's like you played. You played Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard at they're both 80%. So now we got to fit, we got to pull some other levers on these other spots, but in best ball, it's not that easy to kind of explain that process. Yeah, no, it can be difficult. I know doing rankings and sometimes talking with people, I'm like for our running back ranking rankings, like after a certain point, I'm like, you know, we have an article up that kind of breaks down running backs by archetype. I'm like, you're better off looking at that. Cause like, I know we're behind ADP on, you know, Alexander Madison and Tyrion Davis Price, a couple guys like that, Isaiah Spiller, maybe the more pure handcuffs that have huge ceiling. But like based on how you start, you might only care about ceiling and you should be taking those guys, you know, earlier than where, you know, our default rankings are because that's mm -hmm. all, you know, you, if you've started with like a hyper fragile team, you know, the whole point of the hyper fragile team is you're getting production from day one. You don't need guys to step in and fill and you can you know, hopefully they stay healthy, but you can take some upside swings that one of these other backs, your fourth or fifth back will become a flex play or matter more at the end of the season when one of the other guys gets hurt. Whereas if you go zero RB, like, yeah, I might want like Naheem Hines because he's yep. got a little bit more. Gus Edwards, Naheem Hines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's so fascinating because 
actually feel like <clears throat> I've seen you guys ranks and and we have a lot of the same like micro player takes, but the rankings are vastly different. And this is a perfect example where our spike week rankings are like really ceiling focused. So like mm -hmm. how I weight things are the like all those guys, all those guys you named, I'm ahead of ADP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's so ceiling focused, right? Madison is a zero or a or a massive ceiling. Well, when it's really weighted towards the ceiling, naturally he gets bumped up. Isaiah Spiller, same thing, right? Tyrion Davis Price. Um, I'm trying to think of some other, you know, but those running handcuff running. Yeah, guys. it's like it's almost like RB 35 ish. I want to say like, like we have like chase admins around ADP He's like RB 35 in our ranks. He's RB 36. Like after him, it's almost like all archetypical stuff practically, Yeah, you know, just like what fits, what, what fits your team best. Basically. Um, you definitely don't want to be a ranking slave and like, 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 like we have Rashad white really high, but like, I'm not saying like you have to pound yeah, Rashad White at like a 30 percent clip. You're out on these but, other guys, but you have Rashad White really high. What is that a projection thing or what? Is, what is? I that? think I think we might be overvaluing that his chances of catching some balls like in a non Fournette injury situation. But the other thing is like Tampa Bay's just a cheat code. I mean, yes, I know it's uh, when. You know, Keyshawn Vaughn and Giovanni Bernard are both scoring 20 plus fantasy points in the same game. I mean, like it's it's just I, like if 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 he like there's there might not be a better spot in all fantasy football. If we didn't hate Leonard Fournette so much, he'd be a you know top five pick. It's, Let's um, not talk about that. Let's not. Uh, I have moved on from last year and my horrible, 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 horrible mistakes but on we, the Tampa um, Bay Bucks. So bad. Yeah. So we might, we might be too high on him, but it's, I mean, it's hard. It's kind of like the, but like, I'm kind of, I know the way I'm approaching our ranks is like, he's my favorite of these guys in this certain archetype, but I'm going to draft all of them. I mean, try and draft the ones they, but I might not take, you You know, if I think Madison's too overvalued, I might not take him or Spiller's too overvalued yeah. to, to what I said at the top of the show, like being able to take your losses. Like, I'll get into a point of the draft where I'm like, I need a high upside running back. I'll look at our ranks. I'll kind of cross off the guys that aren't fitting this archetype. And when you do that, I think these guys will pop on the board more frequently than they might if you're just looking at all RBs as the exact same position that you're trying to yeah. fill. Yeah, and running back is definitely one. I, I mean, a wide receiver definitely uh, from an archetype perspective really matters, but running back is the one that's most clear and obvious from a structure perspective, how much, it, how much it matters. Like the Jarvis Landry versus, um, I don't know, versus Chris Olave on his same team. At the end of the day, depending upon structure, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but running back to your, like you talked about this at the top can be a huge deal, right? Like if you start robust, and then you take JD McKissick. It's like, dude, like you just like almost killed that entry because there's no value really to what JD McKissick can bring to this team. But if you take Alexander Madison or whatever, like that, you you could have a supercharged, um, robust team. And so the archetype thing is a is a big one. I haven't been able to to, to get to it yet. Uh, and, and you mentioned it earlier. It is. It's not even July yet. So I keep yeah. saying like, 
like, oh man, I haven't got to this yet. And then I think back to last year where like we weren't even fucking talking about this. Like <laughs> at the, at this point in the off season, like it's it's so crazy. So we've been doing this for 50 minutes or whatever. The people come, of course, for best ball takes, but we gotta we gotta pivot a little bit. I make I make everyone talk a little bit about uh, some some personal life stuff. I'm not gonna make you talk about mowing your grass and all that shit that your your goddamn employee, uh, uh, you know, uh, co coworkers make you do. But I do. I what 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 I do want to hear as the bots as the bots make their way to the chat. Uh, Maybe they were waiting for us to talk about Mike Leone's personal life. That's when the bots, the the, the sex bots come in the chat when uh, when we do this. I I actually don't totally know the story of like how did you get into? Fa- I mean, I know where you come from because I followed you from Daily Roto and all that kind of stuff. But like, how did you? How are we here? How 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 is it? How is it that Mike Leone has had established a run? How did you? What was the progression to get here? Yeah, so there's obviously a long and a short version. I'll probably go for the medium version. Yeah. Um, I was I always was good at math. I always loved sports. Super into sports as a kid. In college, I switched my major like a kajillion times. Eventually, I settled on being a math major. It was just basically because I was good at it and I could get the degree and. I had reached a point where I needed to decide what I was going to do because I definitely didn't want to spend a whole nother year in college. So um, came out with a math degree uh, somewhere like junior, senior year. I read the book Moneyball, which is super cliche, but uh, it's over there somewhere. It's over there somewhere on the on the shelf. Oh, yeah. So that got me like into the like that totally shifted my, my way of thinking in sport. Like, dude, I was like the dumbass dude arguing for you know david ortiz is a clutch hitter we had those arguments and yep. it, it totally shifted my mindset you know not just on sports but just you know in life in general and how we you know accepted conventions and, and things like that but that sort of led me to get a writing job for fantastics um a site oh. owned by anthony perry it's a mm-hmm. really good season-long site for fantasy baseball and fantasy football and i started doing blurbs there and I really liked it for a while there. I was like, I'm pretty good at these NFBC leagues, but there was just no viable route to play, you know, season like fantasy baseball professionally, you know, tie up your money in these top heavy leagues. Um, but then daily came along and Dink wrote for the same website. And I had just randomly G chatted Dink when I was at Drew work Dinkmeyer. Drew Dink, Drew Dinkmeyer for anyone that doesn't, that uh, doesn't know. I'm sure everybody does, but just in case they don't know, Drew in case Dinkmeyer. you don't. Yeah. So I had just G chatted him about NBA DFS because, you know, I was playing Kobe Bryant on efficiency based scoring sites and it wasn't going well. Uh, <laughs> watching Russell Westbrook shoot one for 15. Uh, so it wasn't great, Eric, but <laughs> that's great. Dink that's and I really, started. That's really, I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> no, I was around in those days and like went through similar you know we all go through similar struggles in our early dfs days and like those are some of the stories where you're like i feel like i know who all the best the most efficient players are why the fuck if i didn't play kobe why am i losing well he shot 45 times dumbass and like he's gonna score a lot of fantasy points the negatives for shots missed on draft street if you were around (laughs) for those days it could it could make for a painful stretch um but yeah, Dink was great at, at hoops and we started working together on some stuff. And then 
for like the next baseball season, it was basically like, you know, why don't we do DFS advice for this? And we ended up starting kind of like a sister site to Fantastics called My Fantasy Fix. I think we were actually the first paid kind of DFS advice. I think Roto Grinders was all free at the time. Um, and no, no one was kind of willing to go premium. I think we were one of the first premium ones. And uh, eventually we ended up with Roto Experts and Sports Grid. And then as time developed, I became like, it became obvious that, you know, we needed to get more sophisticated in what we were doing. You know, my hack together Excel sheets weren't necessarily cutting it. And, you know, we needed more sophisticated projections. So I taught myself a little bit of computer programming, did some, an online boot camp to learn Python and get a little bit better in that department. And then having that education allowed me to get the director of analytics job at ETR. And I'm pumped to be at ETR where I'm almost solely focused on football and a little bit of basketball. Uh, it's funny. I got into this because of baseball, but Eric, I do not miss baseball. Yeah. I was going to ask all. if you're still doing baseball or, or, or if you guys, you guys had plans to do any baseball. No, not right. I don't, I think if we did, it might be if someone that we really trusted had like really good projections or a really good system or something, we might do it, but it's a grind, we don't man. have, it's a real grind. There's so many slates. I mean, I just, I loved it so much, but I don't, I don't miss it right now. If you're so a math that's, that's nerd, baseball is, baseball is pretty fun. Cause there's a lot of shit you can play with. Uh, especially now, uh, you know, since, since you were really doing it now is like, if you really want to dive into some fun data with all the stat cast stuff and everything mm-hmm. that's going on in baseball, it's, it's, it's really fun. As you know, before I was at road grinders, um, with, uh, with Matt, we started at add more funds and it was just like, all yeah. we did was build a spreadsheet of like stat cast data. And then we were like, well, let's just build a little basic tool on front and like, uh, as a front end. And that, and the next thing, you know, we're here 10 years later, and we have a you know a website that people pay money to go like you know query Statcast data and stuff. But there's a lot of fun stuff to play with. But it is a huge pro- like a huge huge project. I did have some ambitions last season of being like, well, the nice thing about baseball is I could just play if I see if there's an edge on a slate because it's yeah. less news oriented. But I found that I was too out of touch to be able to do that. So it was this weird. I don't have to play every slate, but I have to be involved enough to be able to identify those slates. Um, I do wonder in, in, in some of the more daily grind sports, I was talking with Drew about this too, if that becomes some of the uh, more of a skill that's needed to be profitable is, is identifying the slates you want to play a little bit more. Like we used to mm. always just, you know, just smash every single slate, just play as much as possible, you know, plus EV every slate. But you know, there might be slates. Like there, there was a slate at the end of basketball season where Dink's like, I think it was Hernan Gomez was the backup center. And he's like, it's a late game. He didn't play last time in this situation. So no one's going to play him. But if this dude rests and then Hernan Gomez, like, he was like 1% out and went off for like 30 points or something. It's like, like if you could just play slates like that or, or play them heavier, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, football, there's like no way you can do that. It's only 17 weeks and. Um, but, but basketball and baseball, I could see where you could just pick and choose your spots a bit when like there's bad chalk versus when there's not. I absolutely think that's true in the daily sports. Like 
and I've actually I'm not particularly good at um you know applying it but I I I do try I don't play as much baseball like I used to do exactly what you just said like I've been a a successful DFS player in in baseball basketball football whatever so I'm just going to play every slate and like you said plus EV every slate but I'm not. But the truth is that I'm not. <laughs> like I am. The, I yeah. am the rake. I am the rake. Plenty or, of plates. <laughs> or maybe you are, but it's so small that like you don't want to dabble yeah. with the variants of it. Like, but there are slates if you still follow the sport. I think. I think basketball, uh, to Dink's example, is definitely <laughs> the biggest one. I just saw a comment in chat that made me laugh. Um, Dink's example was. It's funny that. Uh, he mentioned uh, he was talking about Willie Hernan Gomez. My biggest score um, in DFS uh, basketball was, uh, ironically, he was the the star of Hustle on Netflix. But Juancho, Ooh, I just Hernan, watched that. Hernan, Hernan, great movie. If anybody's a, a a basketball fan, it's like you know, it's a typical kind of you know sports movie. The you know Juancho is not uh, is not. Brad Pitt as an actor or whatever, but uh, it, it, I, I really enjoyed it. And Wancho was uh, starting for the Minnesota Timberwolves at the time and was like 1% owned and he was like min priced. And it was the same thing as his brother, actually, in your example, where it was like, I, it, it, I, I'm like, I can't make a projection where he doesn't, he, he doesn't project like, 9x or 8x or whatever i'm like he's the best yeah. play on the slate and he's one percent owned i can't figure out what's going on and so it's the same thing you know that you like you pick and choose those slates unfortunately for us in the like the best ball space i don't really think that is true but i do think we can apply some of the principles um to like pockets of time i don't know if you do this at all so like we people think about it like from a barbell strategy we've we've and there's a there's a cliche we've made into a thing that is so stupid but uh everybody everybody talks about barbell now right draft and and i still think it's true there's a lot of uh plus ev damn it i used another uh (laughs) there's a a lot of um good uh, reasons there's a lot of good reasons to draft teams early and there's a lot of good reasons to draft teams late, but we, we like ruin some of the, the elements of it where it's like, if the puppy comes out and Trey Lance is going at pick one ten, and everything tells us that Trey Lance should be going at pick whatever, because Jimmy, the news we have is Jimmy is not going to be back or whatever, like draft a bunch of teams then. You mm-hmm. can you can you can take a break. You can do whatever, but there are pockets of time throughout the summer where there's better times to draft, and I think that's fairly similar to this DFX TFS example. Yeah, I do think there's also talent in. You're not going to be 100 percent accurate, but I think you can be more accurate than not in the guys whose ADPs are going to go certain directions over the yeah. course of an off season. So I've already seen. I mean, part of this is due to news, but you know, a few of the guys I was on early. Mike Evans, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley have moved so much at, at points in the draft too, where moving a few spots is a big deal. They've moved full yeah. rounds and there's definitely a part of me that's like, Shh, you know, shit, <laughs> I, I, <should've, laughs> 
I should have drafted all my teams. I should have drafted all my best ball mania teams. Like, yeah. can, can I force people in August to draft according <laughs> to the, I want to lock those ADPs. There was a yeah, last season too. I remember like Joe Mixon was one. He was going like the middle around three. Yeah. And I don't know if he ended up a good value. I mean, he did by the results. I don't know where his final ADP, if that was a good pick or not, but I know it was in the middle of round three. Um, I keep thinking Juju's ADP is going to increase. So that might be one I'm wrong on. Maybe I'm just wrong on Juju. Um, but there's, there's definitely some players that you can sort of read the tea leaves. And I think if you can read the tea leaves, then you can, even if you are someone like me that likes to diversify, you can divert. You don't have to diversify all at the same time. You know, you know, you could get, you want to get your money in when it's good. And then you could kind of diversify later. And that's the same thing too, with also maybe being patient, like Joe Burrow's ADP has fallen a good bit. So if I had forced Burrow exposure real early, you know, it's, it's like, Oh shit. If I would have waited, I could have, you know, not gotten what I knew and thought was a bad price just to force some exposure. And now his, you know, his exposures, like now it's like a little bit fine. Like his ADP is okay. And that, that goes back to being willing to take an L because if you're wrong on the ADP, then you might end up overexposed or underexposed over the course of the season. And you should be like, well, that's okay. Like I was happy with those price tags. I took it. So be it. But it, you also might open up windows where, you've got a lot of Trey Lance at a really good price and you don't have to draft, feel compelled to draft any of them when his price is bad. That I think that's my biggest lesson that I've learned. And that if I were to tell someone like what to do, like first thing getting into best ball or whatever, I think what you just said is exactly what I would tell people is like focus on figuring out. I mean, you have to figure out like, I would just do a bunch of drafts first. Like, whatever, what's the cheapest? I don't know what the cheapest draft is. Like, a, the DraftKings $3 or drafters just launched a $2 tournament. Yeah. Go draft Let's some see. teams. Get comfortable with, like, this guy's available. Then, whatever, like, I'm, you're going to punt off whatever it is. 10 20 bucks, 30 bucks. You're going to lose it. <laughs> like, just assume that shit is gone. This is just like any, just like any... Dogs are getting dogs are getting this is this is an exciting conversation for the dogs. Like, oh, you're practicing best ball drafts. Um hold on, hold on, hold on one second. So I would just like be like practice drafting. If you don't know how to do that, like if if you don't even know, like it's my seventh round pick and I don't know who's here. Like you're you're not gonna do very good in this game, so do the practice thing and then start to figure out who you think's gonna fall, who you think's gonna rise. Right, study the news, get in these little communities, get in get in with ETR, get in our Discord. You start to figure out like, guess what? <laughs> Trey Lance is gonna go up, whether you like him or not. <laughs> Trey Lance is gonna rise because mm -hmm. of X Y Z, or Gabe Davis is gonna rise. Because of X Y Z, Mike Williams. Um, one of my favorites was Miles oh Sanders. God, you Mike you guys Williams. were over on you guys were over on on Miles Sanders. I was over on Miles Sanders. Other people I respect were over on Miles Sanders. And it's like, guess what? If everybody around the space is twenty spots higher on Miles Sanders, he's not going to keep going where he is. And so you figure those things out, and that's where all the other elements start to come into play. It's like if you want to diversify, guess what? 
The easiest way to diversify is take those guys at this cost. And then if you don't want to take them again, don't take them. If you don't like Trey Lance at pick 80, don't take him at pick 80, but take him at pick 110. Right. And all of that stuff is the, that's the fun for me. Like I, I love to yeah. joke around about the players and structure and all that, but like figuring out that part of the game is actually how I think you win. I'm, I'm all excited to do some best ball drafts tonight now. <laughs> oh, I got to give you an honorary mention for my, you know, worst fantasy take or sports take. Oh yes. Or wor- I guess worst play I've ever made two plays in two in two high stakes situations. Ooh. One, I, I don't want to say I was responsible for, but I maybe slightly contributed to Drew Dinkmeyer playing Cameron Payne in an NBA live final. Uh, and it was just, it was an egregious play. It was so bad. And then on my own team, I made it to the FanDuel baseball finals. I think it was 2014. And I was the only person. This is FanDuel where you only took, you know, everyone's taking a stud pitcher. It's one pitcher. I took Dan Straley against the, I think it was against the Cubs or maybe, was, or maybe he was on the Cubs. I don't even know. And if he was facing the Mets and he had a one, two, three first inning with two strikeouts, Eric, I thought, I thought I was going to be rich, but I'll tell you what, it didn't, didn't end that way. Um, that Come also on. turned out to be, to be the water main break night. So, <laughs> so guys, in a way it was good that Dan Straley was terrible because had he dominated and I, I lost on a core's water main break, then yeah, that would, that would have been more painful. Okay. Really quick before we get out of here, can you tell the people how you got the uh, two, hats, oh, two hats, one mic and then, at, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah. So at sad fan duel final, they had a, um, an open bar and some of us may have overindulged in drinks, which if you've watched me on streams, you'd probably be like, how could that happen? I've never seen Mike drink too much. Um, and I believe, I think I stole STL cards hat. FanDuel gave out these free hats as well in the bags. And there's, there's just, I got to find the picture. Davis has the picture, but there's a picture of me with two hats on with a whiskey and a just, a, just a terrible grin on my face. Oh, oh man. I love that story. I also love. Um, I was. I went on the Swolecast today, and uh, I love listening to Soccer Dave. To Soccer Dave, st- tell tell the the two hats story. So good. Abs- oh, one he tells best, it so much better. One of the best uh, DFS stories. Kay Adams was involved in that story. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So it. I was very drunk, and I, Kay Adams <laughs> went. We were talking with her. She called me the poor man's Pat Mayo, and. Then she went up to interview Ricky Henderson was there as like the special guest and she left her drink behind. And I'm like, I'm drinking this case. Just spending time with Ricky now. <laughs> God forbid this woman who was bound for stardom. Clearly we're NFL network and people and, and all this. God forbid she spends time with Ricky Henderson instead of. Oh, and it was a formal like interview too. That she, it wasn't like she was just. <laughs> Uh, that is so great. So anyway, I've kept, I've kept you long enough. What, uh, what's, what's coming up, um, maybe specifically best ball focused for you guys, or not just you guys, but you at, uh, at, at ETR, what, uh, what are you working on for the next month or so as we start? I mean, obviously we're in a little bit of a downstretch, but pretty soon it's about to be heavy drafting season. 
Yeah. I mean, we're still working our way through some analysis. We've already pumped out a lot of content. That's kind of the foundation of what we're going to do. You know, roster construction articles you mentioned, we have the RB targets by round and like by archetypes. And I think that's really useful for your drafts. In addition to our best ball rankings that we have for all the formats, I will be recording a podcast tomorrow, man versus machine, me versus Evan Silva for the ETR podcast on the main feed. So that's always a fun episode. Silva and I are going to go back to back on some guys that we uh, that we disagree with. I love that. Those were really fun episodes last year, uh, if I remember. So uh, make sure if I'm sure everyone that's watching is already following Mike. If you're not, make sure and go and follow Mike. I will be listening to that episode uh, tomorrow for sure. I will be back with you here on this channel tomorrow for a strategy show. Thursdays are our strategy episodes and Friday. I'm teasing it. It'll come out. It'll come out tonight. I'm almost embarrassed to say, but like kind of not because I've just become this terrible person on Friday. It's holiday weekend, 4th of July weekend. Myself and Rob Coakley are going to do a hot dog eating contest, best ball draft stream where we are going to eat a hot dog similar to Kobayashi in the every, in every round of a draft that we Is do. They're a betting sheet. Uh, like, I might have to over I might under. Have, yeah. Does or someone like will Eric vomit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to put one out, but um, we're going to try to have some fun on the holiday weekend eating. I bought, I bought 24 hot dogs today at the, <laughs> at the store and it made me sick buying them. So that tells you, not, like, I don't eat hot dogs. I'd, I had to take pictures. You know, you have to, you know, YouTube thumbnails, how this whole thing works. You got to take stupid pictures. My wife is taking pictures of me with like hot dogs in my mouth and like, you know, making stupid faces in my kitchen. The The dogs are like, what is that? That's in his hand. Like I, you know, I'm holding them like in the kitchen and they're like running over and like trying to jump as I'm, it was a whole thing. So I can only imagine what the actual draft is going to be, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a fun, uh, uh, Kobayashi themed, uh, uh, stream on Friday. So everybody be on the lookout for that. Um, and obviously, thanks to Mike, and thank you guys for putting up with my dogs. I'll be back tomorrow. Again, make sure to check out Mike um, on Twitter and the ETR. Establish the Edge, right, is your specific uh, Yeah, Establish podcast. the Edge is my podcast, and then I'll also be on the, the main ETR, Establish the Run podcast. That's one where the man versus machine will take place. There we go. And make sure to subscribe to both of those, and I will see you guys tomorrow. 